So we see many banks struggle a little bit with open banking and offering their own PFC or PFM services because people don't necessarily trust them with their information from other bank accounts with savings that they might have at home because they don't know what they're going to do with that data. They still think, oh, the bank is going to use this data to sell me some other products that they have. Fintechs have an advantage there because they come in as new players and they have a blank slate. Thank you for tuning in to the Vitusa X Lab Sparking Innovation Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Wood. We're recording today in East London at the juncture between Old Street, the Silicon Roundabout, and the Old City of London. And that's pretty apt because today we're going to be focusing on personal financial management and personal financial coaches, where we're seeing uh, the traditional world of banking shaken up by the tech-enabled startups, helping people to manage their finances more effectively and drive towards, hopefully, universal prosperity. I'm joined today by Mandana Dilmagani, uh, Service Design Lead for Xlabs. Hello. And Alan uh Head of Retail Banking uh, at Vatusa. Hi, everybody. So today we're going to be talking about PFMs or PFCs, which are uh, personal financial managers. So if we start off with understanding what's a, a personal financial manager and, and what's a personal financial coach. So uh, how we describe these tools? So we have seen people using calculators, people using a pen and paper to plan their budgets and then kind of you know make some savings for the future. It's just been an evolution from those days to see that how do you leverage the technology to give you more predictability and money management, debt management and some of the most critical aspects of saving for the future. Okay, so uh, PFMs are, in essence, tools to help us understand and manage our finances more effectively. So we've seen these in business uh, for many years, but now they're, uh, they're entering the, the retail financial space. Absolutely, and uh, a retail financial space as well as next segment of SME, small medium enterprises who need a lot of help to run their businesses. Uh, however, we'll focus on retail financial management today. So are we finding uh, personal financial managers uh, being provided by banks or by other players? Banks have been trying to differentiate in the space for the last 8 to 10 years. Banks have struggled to provide the better customer experience to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, forget about giving any value-added services. Uh, however, uh, over the last 10 years or so, you see that uh, banks started to come up with the Uh, new value-added propositions for the customers and personal finance management, rather financial coaching has become their focus. Okay, so So, you use the term there, personal financial coach rather than personal financial manager. Are they different things? uh, Yes, Uh, so if you look at it, the personal finance management is uh, uh, technically helps you to aggregate all your accounts, Mm -hmm. categorize them, visualize them, but doesn't deal with giving you any personalized suggestions what is right for you and what you should be doing next. Now, coach, as the word stands, is to support you uh, to take right decisions about your finances going forward, and it is unique for each person. So, uh, off lately, I was kind of looking at what Credit Karma is doing, and Credit Karma has developed tons of data insights, and they are able to generate around 8 billion data points about your finances. Mm-hmm. So, it, it is it is about how do you leverage those, that data to give you the right advice. I mean, each individual needs in their life stage differ, and coaching is all about suggesting you how do you behave for your individual situation. Management gets things together, 
coaching delivers it to you and advises you for your own self. And how have we seen the ownership of personal financial coaches divided between you know, the traditional retail banking players mm-hmm. and, and the fintechs? So this differs per geo. If you take an example of Europe and UK here, where we are heavily driven by PSD2 and open banking, which has accelerated innovation, companies like YAL has come up, which is able to aggregate customers' data. Most of the financial institutions are able to give you a spending habits. Uh, etc etc now bank have a peculiar problem here while banks have an individual customer data for the accounts held in that bank technology allows them to aggregate all the data from different set of financial institution there's a long way to go for the bank to have customers to adopt their solutions whereas fintechs come with no baggage they only deliver the best in class customer experience mm-hmm. so there's a fair bit of competition or uh, collaboration between bank and fintechs to deliver pfc so if we think about um, going to my bank and asking them to help me to manage my money, a lot of it is around help to choose our products more effectively. So they are helping you, but the subset of products are pretty much within the bank's portfolio. So yeah. does this then mean that actually people will have a higher propensity to look at fintechs because they're more objective or does it not work like that? Yes and no. So if you look at the traditional way of getting advice was uh, you walk into the branch, you have a wealth manager assigned, you sit with them, they block a time with you because they know how much money lies in your account, what products you can take, agree with your goals. That is a one way of doing it. But the customer demographics have been shifting drastically and customers they want to have the advice delivered digitally they w- would expect that you are able to look across my financial situation not just the account you hold with yourself uh, and give me the the best suggestion so 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 in that aspect i mean changing customer behavior changing the demographics the finance management approaches have evolved significantly and we we see that there's a benefit in in the new approach to look after the customer so if you look at it there is an evolution towards moving towards is autonomous finance which we'll talk about little later but the idea is that right from the you deposit your paychecks it is able to predict your expenses manage them better helps you to kind of move your debts from one provider to another without you kind of worrying about it optimizing your liabilities and giving you overdrafts when you need them so able to predict your most difficult situations ahead of it based on the data they collect so i think it's it's complete evolution rather than pull it is it is more of a push and engaging uh, pfc which is moving towards okay so it sounds like we've got a, a shift not only in customer expectations around what you're expecting from the person providing you with coaching or advice but also democratization because there are very few people who get a wealth manager when they walk into a bank that's a very interesting point uh, so if you look at it there's a big debate uh, across the world is about financial inclusion now financial inclusion is not just about opening an account now, financial inclusion is also able to deliver the similar financial advice to your customers now if we talk about assigning a wealth manager the today scenario it's not going to be possible so digitizing or democratizing your world is very very important so there's a there's a huge business opportunity for fintechs and the banks on a back of data they gathering to bring more customers on and and help them change their lives. So if we think about the the technologies that are underpinning the rise of personal financial coaches, what are the key bits of tech that are making this viable now? So before we get into kind of what techs are there, I would kind of want to brief you that there are uh, there are four steps and they are not rocket science to kind of deliver 
the next gen pfc now number one goal is that your data collection now how are you going because whatever you want to deliver to the customer the advice it has to be backed by data and the prediction you're making so the data collection is the number one step now data comes from various sources some data is held by bank the data which is not held by the banks to be provided how do you ingest that data how do you make sense out of it at the same time uh, there's a lot of regulatory aspect to be taken care of like gdpr and the psd2 those decisions to be made early on that through your data governance strategy within organization how you going to consume the data which you got once you have got the data you got to think about what insights you going to deliver on, on back of the data and and the insights are more of your predictive analytics which you develop on on your data and the third step is financial coaching how do you engage a customer how do you identify the critical points in their lifestyle and their deliver the advice and last is of course leveraging all of it together to make it autonomous now while i talked about the approaches key technologies are enabling it is you know open banking as a as a framework you can say but ai artificial intelligence machine learning big data is playing a big role great so we we think about the stages of sort of aggregation ingestion analytics and then the delivery of coaching we've got the key technologies open banking through apis and microservices we've got ai and ml we've got big data and the cloud all coming together at this point to make uh, personal financial coaches uh, that much more viable uh, but it's not just about bringing the technology there we've got to think about those three things and we've got to think about viability and feasibility we've also got to think about desirability so this moves us on to the idea of you know we need to design uh, an experience with a coach uh, and at the heart of it if we are trying to make a decision about what we choose whether we choose a fintech uh, or an aggregator or we go to a, a normal bank one of the key things we need to consider is trust so thinking about the idea of trust can we design for trust absolutely i actually think that we see many fintechs in that space specifically designed for trust because trust is really the central part to engaging with a pfm financial matters are such a delicate topic for people that they really need to trust you to open up around these topics and to also disclose other information around their finances so we see many banks struggle a little bit with um open banking and offering their own pfc or pfm services because people don't necessarily trust them with their other information from other bank accounts with savings that they might have at home because they don't know what they're going to do with that data they still think oh the bank is going to use this data to sell me some other products that they have fintechs have an advantage there because they come in as new players and they have a blank slate Yeah, they have a, a slightly better track record because they have no track record. Exactly. Whereas banks are are renowned for mail bombing you with uh, direct mail to try and push something that might not even be that tailored to you. So, how are uh, the fintechs and, and and the better banks encouraging people to be open and honest uh, with their holistic finances? Before we say that customers have a. lack of trust on the banks i think we would be unfair to the banks completely banks have earned their trust over decades their own customers have more trust than trying out new as mandana pointed out it's it's quite delicate to let go your financial situations if i can add to that i think the important thing about trust is it's trust to do what trust is always a specific interaction so people really trust their banks to be there for the long run 
to probably keep their savings safe. But there's also that idea, can an old dog learn a new trick? If you say that in English, <laughs> I'm no, not sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it might be a German saying. Uh, that's fair. That's, I think that's a good comment. I mean, and I, I will also, I think, want to add Mandana to your point. I mean, there's a, there's a news, uh, there's a patent getting filed by Move and Carp. Uh, is about uh, driving adoption through your behavioral changes uh, mm -hmm. into PFC. And, and while we're talking about uh, the trust, there has to be a holistic approach, which addressing trust, uh, addressing what you actually need, uh, addressing that, do you understand the individual customer behavioral insights, what works for each individual. So we're seeing a big move by uh, filing of even a patent uh, in, in, in kind of addressing how do you drive adoption and trust is one factor of it. So, so what's being patented there? So Move and Corp, uh, you know, in, in the beginning had colorful wheel which shows your financial uh, analytics and spending mm -hmm. analytics. Now that has been adopted by quite a few fintechs. Now this is not about uh, filing a lawsuit. It is more about if it's the right thing to do, can you take it to the next level and develop it? So is it a patent around uh, an algorithm? Is it analytical or is it around visualization? or? Uh, Good question. So it's, it's a visualization it begin with, algorithms to kind of predict uh, what to be adopted and analytics around it. So it's all of it together. Okay, yes. so, so it's a holistic approach. Yeah, it's a holistic approach, yes. So, so getting back to this idea of, of trust, I think those of us who are slightly older remember things like BCCI. Everyone's uh, watching the, uh, the wind up of Lehman Brothers. So the idea that uh, your banks are um, bastions for keeping money is is not one that holds true in all cases. And I think maybe there's a, a difference between the way that the different generations look at banks. So I think if you look at the adoption of the, the neobanks by the, the boomers and the, 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 the more mature people um, out there like us, and then you look at people like Mandana's generation, and for those of you who can't picture Mandana. Mandana is not old and grey like the rest of us. She is young and millennial. Um, and so, so these banks are the starlings uh, and, and the revolutes have been adopted with great gusto uh, by the millennials. Do you think that there's a difference in levels of trust and levels of acceptance uh, between old you know, grey people like Anna and I uh, and, and people <laughs> in your generation? Well, I'd say generally a digital native generation has been more willing to adopt solutions that are digitally native as well. But now we see actually more startups also focusing on older generations who are now digitally comfortable at least as well and who are willing to try new things. So we have um, Tukan, for example, as a PFM, which is focusing directly on people who are a bit older and financially vulnerable. Okay. So I think one of the things that uh, struck us as interesting when we were doing some demographics around re the retail banking sector was actually looking at the financial attitudes of, of, of millennials, the, the mm -hmm. digital natives. And actually, they're a lot more conservative than, uh, than people in, in our generation. So if we think about designing a personal financial coaching experience for millennials versus one for boomers, how does that differ? There is a difference, but it's not so much about starting with which generation they belong to. It's more about the customer needs. Mm -hmm. Because every type of customer actually needs a PFM in some sense. But it depends on their financial background and their lifestyle. 
So people who are struggling or uh, living from paycheck to paycheck, they have a need for PFM. doesn't matter if they're millennial or boomer. And people who are high-income professionals who are doing really well, they might need help figuring out how they can make their money work harder. So it's more around levels of financial awareness and competency and life stage context than it is around demographics. Yeah, and really understanding what does their financial situation look like and how can we help them improve. Because... There's uh, a lot of awareness now that for many people, finance is actually a very stressful topic and yeah. <laughs> is related to things like depression. That really changes the role of the PFM in people's lives. It becomes a facilitator to lead a better life and a happier life in a way. So if it becomes like the, the, the key point in deciding whether you have a happier life, suddenly we move back to this idea of, okay, how can we make sure that it's a beneficent actor, that it's working for the good of the customer rather than for the good of all the other players? And we've seen sort of financial market manipulation happen in many forms over the years. So when we think about designing for, for trust, we talked about the idea of consent being central to making sure that the PFC acts on behalf of the, the customer rather than the bank. So how do we engineer it so that consent's explicit? So uh, on the back of data collection or data ingestion, mm -hmm. uh, and which is primarily happening, let's take an example of Europe and UK on back of open banking and, and keep a mindset that the PFC is one of these innovation or a value proposition which is propelled on back of open banking where you are able to collect a lot of data and deliver insights to the customers. The fundamental there is that customer is asked to give an explicit consent for which purpose bank or fintech is collecting the data and how long they're going to retain it. Mm -hmm. Now, once this is set, customer is at least clear that I'm in control of my data and I can withdraw the consent when I want. This is just one of the measure towards building trust with the customers. And who's policing that? Now, uh, of course, this is in Europe, uh, this is regulated. Now, other geographies where the open banking is not yet regulation, a uh, lot of discussions are happening, and that's why the open banking has not been picked up in those mm -hmm. geos. Uh, I know the open banking is a big topic on its own. The reason to bring it on is uh, unless the open banking comes, the data gets open, uh, solutions like PFC and PFM can only remain on paper. So this is a, like a fundamental... Uh, enabler and the consent is, uh, is is a core part of it. So, so it needs to be um, backed up by the regulator. And, and I think whenever you look at some of the terms and conditions for sort of providing access to the data, it's like 20 pages. Yeah. And you scroll down to the bottom and then you just click the box. Is there anything that's moving the regulators to try and make this clearer and simpler for people to understand what is really being used for? Very good question. And uh, I was reading a couple of reports this morning. Customers are overwhelmed reading these terms and conditions. Lots of customers just take it mm -hmm. uh, because they believe that uh, regulators are taking care of it and they are safe. Uh, but still, there's a lot of drive happening in simplifying TNCs or covenants. If you look at uh, the banks like Monzo's and uh, Revolut, uh, when you're signing something up, but they also bring it out, simplify version of your TNCs. So, yes, there is a lot of work to be done, but I think the banks or any fintechs are obligated to keep those uh, detailed words. So it sounds like human-centered design needs to be applied to that part of the, the equation as well, which brings us back to designing a better experience and a cleaner experience, which typically the banks, the retail banks, haven't been very good at, but the fintechs have been fantastic at. Are there any great examples, Mandana, of PFCs that you've seen that really take a, a clear and transparent view to financial management? 
Absolutely. Um, just to add to the terms and conditions of Monzo, for example, it's really in the interest of the PFC to make these things clear because for the customer, this communicates that they don't have ulterior motives. They're clearly saying we have nothing to hide. We're willing to communicate this to you in a way that it's relevant for you and easily understandable. In terms of designing a good PFM, I'd say the ones that are really doing well are the ones that differentiate, not by only getting the basics right, but by adding extra services and making the experience even more holistic. So one of the things that we see come up now, a lot of PFMs are starting to add more of a human touch to the experience. So it's not enough to just have the app and see your finances broken down and maybe have the ability to filter by expense type. Companies like Albert, for example, now see that people actually want to talk to a real human being, an expert, with some more delicate questions. So they have this function of their geniuses, they call them, which are human experts that can give extended advice to people. And that, that kind of goes against the behavioural psychology uh, principle that, that people open up once they know that it's a machine. Because there were um, famous experiments done where people were a lot more frank with their discussions of very personal matters, especially in the health market, once they knew it was an automated experience. But here we're seeing sort of a shift away from, I trust the machine because it's got access to all of the data in the world, it's got the best algorithms in the world, back to this idea that when I come to a financial decision point, I still want to talk to someone human. Yeah, I think we all have experience with chatbots. And they do have limits. They're kind of fun to play around a little bit with. They can give you quick and simple answers. But financial questions are often quite complex. And you want to evaluate different options. And you want somebody to lay it out to you in simple terms. So humans have that ability to bring emotion into it and to pick up on, on the language, emotional language of people as well, and respond accordingly. So is it that the technology isn't there yet? Or is it that there is a fundamental human need to want that human-to-human -human touch at the point of commitment? I guess that depends on who you ask. If you ask um, an AI expert who's very passionate about it, they might tell you that um, AI is getting more and more sophisticated in that space. So um, we see when we look at trends in emerging tech, we do see that AI is now able to read emotions and probably also deliver messages with emotional language. But many people will argue that there's still a difference when you talk to a human. And it's really a differentiating factor if a company can show that we're willing to give you that extra human touch. So do you think that uh, at some point when the technology is there and we've got better uh, natural language processing, we've got better sort of machine empathy, you'll be able to go, hey, Google, tell me where I should be investing my money to afford my dream holiday that I'm tracking on Instagram? Yeah, so one of the trends that we've observed this year also in our trend almanac is autonomous finance where people will give over their finances to AI because it will be able to make more informed decisions and quicker decisions. So they'll let AI act on behalf of them to make sure that they can't make wrong or bad decisions themselves. Now the point is not about whether technology is there or not. The additional point which I think is the accuracy, right? Because these are delicate things. What if you go wrong? What happens? Because nobody blames technology. Still, the accountability lies with the service providers and the solutions. So, so technology is improving. 
There's a one example, Corso, which is in South Korea, Robert Weiser firm, which boasts around 83% accuracy, still 17% to go there. So yes, AI is making advancements. Accuracy remains the fundamental point in there to kind of keep it uh, keeping going. So 80% accuracy isn't bad if you're betting on a horse, but if you put your entire life savings on it, suddenly that becomes a slightly <laughs> different uh, situation. But again, you tend to come back to comparing it with the monkeys throwing the darts at the Wall Street <laughs> Journal, which had the same return as uh, going to some of the larger brokers. So do you think that the banks or the tech firms will start to underwrite the decision so they'll limit your losses so that people start to trust them? It's happening now. So even if you look at it uh, without uh, advancement in AI, etc., your deposits are protected by government regulators, right? Up to 85,000 pounds. But uh, most of the time when you're dealing in the risky instruments, all of us are used to read that advice that your investments are subject to. Yeah. Da-da-da. Investments can go down as well as up. Um, Absolutely. So Ab- performance is no guarantee of future performance. And you could lose everything. Absolutely. But I think uh, in, in that aspect, if you compare, uh, situations need to get better because now you have access to more data mm-hmm. uh, than just being uh, on your own and then the one wealth advisor is trying to do a lot of manual research. Here you have automated way of making more informed decisions. So the risks need to reduce. So I, I think there's probably a tipping point. We can take a parallel going back to this idea of financial inclusion uh, by looking at the firm Kiva. And Kiva enables people to make micro loans to specific people that are typically in developing economies to, to do things like set up shops, build wells, and all of these loans get paid back and, and pretty much they're underwritten by Kiva. Um, in reality, I mean, we're always going to get some level of default, but it's going to be relatively low. But once you know that there's this underwriting and you've got a chance of doing good but also getting a return back, that means that you're more likely to invest. I'm not aware of anyone in the retail PFC or autonomous finance space doing that yet. Uh, it's not yet there, to be honest. And, and I think some of the instruments we have to look at, what makes you a leading uh, PFC or autonomous finance? Uh, there are various attributes which are compared across four leading providers in that space. Is One is called Wealthfront, mm-hmm. other one is Sophie, Credit Karma and Betterment. Based on the uh, research in the market, Mm -hmm. the four top ones, they are at various stages of maturity as well. The attributes were compared against, are they offering savings accounts, checking accounts, are they offering you retirement planning because that's the longer term goal. Are they offering you borrowing Mm -hmm. uh, personal loan space in debt management, how mature they are. Are they helping you in investment, insurance as well to, uh, to do that and what are the key PFM, PFC features. So if you look at it, uh, most of them have invested on AI and some of them are able to kind of only predict the events, but some of them are able to advise you to take action and some of them are able to execute that action once they advise. So the autonomous finance is yet to see more investment to make it a reality. So so we've got three stages of maturity in this progress towards autonomous investment or autonomous uh, PFMs. So we've got awareness, we've got advice, and then we've got action. So are there any firms that are uh, going the whole hog that have really mastered the full spectrum and uh, they've got a decent customer base that's happy and confident with them taking the reins? Not yet. There are four attributes. The one is that automated money management. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are companies like Clio, Olivia, Plum and Digit are experts in that space. Mm-hmm. The second segment is the debt management. There's a company called Tally, which takes a lead in debt management functionality. 
Then there's streamlined retire planning. Uh, there's a company called Bright Plan Coach. And the last one is a robo investing. Basically, executing some of it yep. for you is a sick fig and stas. The different use cases are being taken by different fintech providers. And the banks who can assemble all of it together would be the winner. But uh, right now, it's quite fragmented. Okay. So, so we've seen people like uh, Robin Hood in the US going into yeah. wealth management and trying to shake things up. Could we see a future uh, where you know, finance isn't handled by the banks that have been around for generations and, and they just become the cash management function for sexier fintechs? It's happening now. And I'll quote a parallel example to you from China, Alibaba and Tencent. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's a concept called Super App. Now, I wouldn't say it's cash management as per se, but the super app function is to let the customer be with your app and it will handle everything right from your uh, your content needs, your gaming needs, uh, any other lifestyle needs to banking, to your debt and all of it. Now, if you draw the parallel to the banks, uh, there is a discussion happening that can bank become a platform player mm -hmm. and uh, can bank be the pipe which can supply these services and consumed by anybody who want to consume it. So yes, I think the, the banks are also going in that direction, uh, but there are success stories to draw from Alibaba and Tencent uh, from China. So yes, you're right, it's, it's in that direction. So if we think about the traditional retail banks, they're dragging this enormous sort of ball and chain of legacy architecture, process and regulation behind them. Have we seen any traditional bank doing really well in the PFC space? So I'd say most traditional banks are now trying to get in on it and they're building their own solutions. But none of them have really nailed it yet. Most of them are trying to, again, bring in the human touch and their branches mostly because they know this is what they can offer compared to digital startups. Mm -hmm. um, they're trying to bring people in, have a conversation with people. But what they're missing is the digital elements where they can gather all the information of people to actually give them actionable advice. And this brings things back to the final mile and potentially having the human as the last step in the process. And for traditional banks, if their only USB is having a branch, we come back to the conversation that I think we've been having for like 10 years around, okay, the branch of the future. But many banks have decided and found that the branch of the future is now uh, turned into a pub or a cafe and, and branches don't exist. They're just not relevant anymore. Uh, have we seen anyone actually address that digital space, actually bringing together physical and digital in, in a way that's actually successful? Or is it like your dad trying to wear trendy clothes and looking <laughs> really out of place? But that's not true across every country. There are, there are some of the, uh, if you look at, for example, India, branches are still relevant because people relate to it. Even though the digital infrastructure has, is high, the cost of operations possibly lower than the Western countries and mm -hmm. they, they still, the branches are the way to go, right? Countries are tapping on to existing infrastructure like post offices. They're mm -hmm. trying to see how do I optimize and leverage it more to, to stay relevant and, and physically present. Now people are coining up terms remote banking. Now in the physical space, a lot of innovation people are having the the mobile branches which can be at your doorstep on a certain day but the technology is also delivering that experience to the customers you can have a video call with your branch rep not necessarily inside the branch maybe in inside your bedroom mm -hmm. uh, and have that physical experience delivered to you so so a lot of innovation is happening while the branch physical branches are getting reduced so branches are not the limiting or enabling factor to PSF. so there's a continuum between sort of the branch seeding to telephone banking yeah. seeding to internet banking seeding 
into app-based banking. And over the past five years, everyone's talked about voice user interface, VUI. Do we think that a personal financial coach is something that we'll ever engage with using a VUI? I guess it really depends on if you think you're in, the, in a safe space. If you're sitting on a bus and you want to check your balance, you'd probably rather just check your phone screen rather than have your phone say out your balance for everybody to hear. Mm -hmm. In the comfort of their own home, it's a different experience. And maybe having a conversation with somebody could be more of a comforting experience if it's a delicate topic. But again, it really depends on how sophisticated the technology is. If you feel like you're speaking with a robot with an electronic voice giving you advice that doesn't really match your question, that doesn't really work. It has to be really sophisticated. Okay, so again, this comes back to this idea of competency, trust, transparency, uh, and only then will you feel that you want to en engage with that. I must admit, I, I probably wouldn't be uh, as comfortable talking about my finances to my phone, but I would still be relatively comfortable talking to an independent financial advisor, though I'd still loathe to go into my bank to talk about it because uh, the partisan attitude is still there. Yeah, the key really is the word independent. People want to feel like they're talking to somebody who has their best interest in mind and doesn't come in with a motive to sell them something. So who, who do we think are the people who are doing PFC right at the moment? So in the UK, we see banks which have picked up uh, some aspects, the early stages. I believe Lloyds Bank started to do some pieces of it. Mm -hmm. uh, Monzo does it better and uh, they're able to help me create my different gold parts or I can move in money. Revolut is the other example. In US still the PFC world is picking up but the companies like Mint.com. Mm -hmm. So to your question which bank is leading, the banks could not build the technology and engagement on their own. They kind of adopted a central aggregator where customers love to go there. So Mint.com is another example. YNAB is another example. So there are, uh, they're not directly the banks, but they're fintechs which are kind of thing coming in. in front. What about from your perspective, Mandana? Who, who do you see as pushing the envelope? Monzo is definitely one of the leaders in the UK. Then we have Plum as well, which is doing a great job at also aiming to change people's financial behaviours rather than just um, engaging them superficially. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the, the one thing I think we, we've probably not touched on enough around coaching. Coaching is all around not just providing insight, but actually providing help to motivate people to change their behaviours. And uh, yeah, personally, using Plum's been, been great for me. Um, and it gives you uh, really actionable insight in a very, very simple way uh, that I didn't get from my traditional bank. W what are the types of behaviours that you know, you've seen PFCs encourage? Well, changing financial behaviour is really about ongoing engagement and making sure that people, first of all, get comfortable with their finance and start to get into a habit of just engaging regularly and then also rewarding good behaviour. If we want a person to perform a certain action, we'll usually need to make sure they have the motivation to do so. We need to um, make sure they have the ability and serve up a trigger. And in the beginning, what PFMs that are doing this well are doing is they're sending out regular triggers to get people to engage. And then over time, we see these triggers to become internal. So you don't need that push notification anymore to get you to engage with your finances. It becomes an internal need. 
Okay. So it's uh, again, we're coming back to behavioral psychology. And we, and I can imagine everyone in the PFC uh, shop reading their copy of Hooked and going back to Skinner to see if we can try and encourage people to, to shift. And thinking back to things like diet apps, diet apps did this way before the PFCs. And I think one of the things that we found with diet apps is that they're, they're fine at the beginning. Suddenly you, you lose interest and suddenly you find the trousers aren't quite as loose as they once were. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think this is going to be something that we see with PFCs? They're going to be something that we you know, swap regularly rather than sticking with the same one. And if so, you know, what does that then mean for where we have our money? To make sure that people actually stick with it and not get tired of it like a calorie tracker is to make sure that it really responds to people's needs and the kind of the language that they're comfortable with. Some people really need to get pushed to change their behavior. And for some people, hands-off approach works better. Going back to this idea of diet apps, which is front and center in, in our minds as we move into February. If we compare PFCs to diet apps, I mean, many people uh, saw the, the social uh, reinforcement as a great tool to encourage them to continue on their, their progress towards thinness. Um, but I think it makes a, it's a very different thing to share your, uh, your weight loss to your actual your savings or your investment success. Do, do you think that a social reinforcement strategy will work for PFCs? In a certain way, yes. Gamification in the sector can be a very strong force to motivate people. So we see different types of gamification work. So you have the type where it's more about self-growth and feeling like you've reached the next level and getting this positive reinforcement from the app itself. But again, going back to Tukin, for example, they have the system where they connect you to a trusted person. And that one person who you nominate yourself gets notifications if you're doing well or if you're not doing that well so that they can pick up the conversation with you. So it's almost like an AA sponsor then? Pretty much, yeah. Can you be financially safer? In other cultures as well, though, things work differently. Interestingly, in China, when Ant Financial launched their Sesame Credit Score system, they were quite surprised to see that people were really happy to share that on WeChat and then have people see how they improve over time. Wow. So they even shared bad scores because uh, the, the thing was progressed rather than baseline. And, and, and it's astounding. It, in the banking, I think just to add it, uh, the data and the gamification can happen in the trusted network to Mandana's point. And the secondary, it could be anonymized and, and in that social scoring, right? So saying you compare uh, rank three managing your credit better in this proximity of da 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 because you have all the information available to give that and you feel reinforce that behavior in a different way mm -hmm. than just publishing yes Anil or Stefan has done it so you can still uh, gamify and generate that behavior reinforcement through different ways and means. So we're not giving the details we're yes. just given um, sort of abstract forms of like awards so congratulations today you are adulting in finance. That's correct yeah. <laughs> Wonderful okay so uh, as we wind up what are your predictions for what we'll see in the PFC market over the next year? We'll definitely see the shift to um, having AI become more of a friendly assistant for your finances and take off the burden of filtering through loads of information to make sure that you make the right decision. From a business standpoint, I would see a lot of acquisitions happening, the best of the fintechs either getting acquired by the mm. leading banks to deliver the value propositions 
and I see a major push towards autonomous finance investment. Fantastic. So we can probably predict that the usual cycle of something sexy being acquired by something not quite as sexy, losing its sexiness, and something new and sexy appearing in the market. Consolidation, yes. So it's a great time to start a PFC. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today and listening to our podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to the XLab Sparking Innovation podcast, please subscribe to us in Apple and SoundCloud or however you take your podcast. Tune in next time to hear another topic about how technology is driving innovation.